Hello there, and welcome to Film Raw here at Bunkersville UK. It is the place where we roar at the latest and greatest cinema releases. I am Ian Bolton, the genre giant, and joining me making their first appearance on Film Raw is Real History UK's very own Hugh K. David. Hello. Hello. How are you, my friend? I am doing lovely. This is. I'm. I'm shocked it's been this long, and it's to to, to get you on the show. <laughs> To be fair, to be fair, between Real History and uh, Hustlers of Culture and Binges and Box Sets last year, I suspect listeners might have had enough of my voice. But also, it is that thing where I feel like you and Christian have formed a very good team. And let's be, you know, Christian always has deserved his shot in the sun. And I'm more than happy to, to, to let that, you know, let him be there. You, you, you guys work well together. But it's, uh, it's, it's you. nice. You and I haven't done a cast together in a couple of years. Indeed. Indeed. That I can think of. I mean, we've done the big stomp, but there was mm. a we did that Christmas special one time with you, me, Jason, and everyone, and Jenna all here at the house, and that was good fun. Oh yes, that was um, so, that was, was that 2019? 20, I think twenty nineteen. I think twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's after Kim's birthday, wasn't it? Yes, of course, of course. That was it. Yeah. So you know, it's been a while. Been a while since you and I have done something like this. Yeah, going to be fun. Come on. It was good. But it was also good to go to the cinema with you as well. That was fun too. Of course. So the two films we are reviewing on the show, so we're going to be talking about The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard and, of course, F9 or Fast 9, The Fast Saga, The Fast and Furious 9, whatever you want to call the ninth Fast and Furious film. It's the the film where the cars go fast and people get furious for like the ninth time. (laughs) The naming convention of the Fast and Furious movies is a weird and wonderful world, and we'll get on to that later on. Um, But I believe this is like your like your, one of your first proper experiences back in the cinema after a long time, especially after lockdown as well. So how did you find uh, going back to the cinema after such a long time? Uh, no, this is, yes. Yeah. So, so I, I have not been back Yeah, Mostly you were, you, you were lasted longer into lockdown than I did before cinemas closed. Mm. And you started earlier when they opened up before I did. Now I, uh, unlike yourself, I fall into four different me- medical vulnerable groups until, well, I did until they changed <laughs> what were the vulnerable groups. Um, but the fact is that I'm also put myself at risk enough in my de- in my, my, my part-time job in the first half of the week. So I tend not to try to risk myself later on uh, in the week. But nevertheless, it felt like the right time and the right place to... To to change it up, I, I I have to I've been double vaccinated. Precautions have obviously worked long enough, and and you were offering to to, to go and do this, and I thought, yeah, why not? It, it's we used to go to the cinema regularly together. It's always been a pleasure, um, and you know this is what we think of as the kind of cinema you and I like to see in theaters. This is big screen entertainment, uh, American blockbuster action movies right this mm-hmm. is what we think makes for a good experience so going back in i thought that the cine world in high wickham had done a very good job mm-hmm. i think there was sanitizer at key points there was a lot of room and a lot of space and a lot of airflow even though you're you're upstairs in a shopping mall and obviously corridors and cinemas are closed but it, it never felt close or muggy yeah, even though it was a warm day, mm-hmm. um, staff kept their distance. Uh, you know, it was easy enough to keep your distance mostly from other people, mm-hmm. which I thought was good. Yeah. Um, so I felt safe. I felt secure. Uh, I think the only time I found it weird was sort of after about an hour and a half in 
the Fast and the Furious or two, two hours where I was just looking around and there's people like someone was coughing over their their their, their popcorn and I was like uh, and, you know, no mask on because they're eating the popcorn and I was like great but yeah all in all I think people should be willing to if they haven't been back I think they should be willing to give a, a punt on take a punt on their local cinema as long as it's big enough. Yes, I, I think if it's a very small, close cinema, you, again, it depends on how many people are there. You, uh, there's not actually that many people going at the moment, so mm. you know it's 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 it, you know you can take a chance and you might be you might have the cinema to yourself or be only one of three or four people. So you know, yeah, I mean. My previous experience, my, my most recent experiences of going to the cinema, I think the busiest I think I've seen a screen is when we went to see Fast and Furious 9. Um, in terms of everything mm, else, every, to, yeah. until everything else, it's like when I went to see Nobody, it was me and another person. When I went to see Cruella, mm. it was only myself and a couple of couples just spread out all over the place. Uh, even when to see Lupin the mm -hmm. First. I mean that technically that was a sold out screening, but it was still like only twenty people in a in a in a spread out auditorium as well. So it's so it's wow. like that. I mean it's like crowds are slowly coming back. I think films like Fast and Furious Nine have definitely done something to to help. Obviously in America, it's made seventy million dollars in its opening weekend, uh, already racing mm. to some very mm. good numbers post pandemic. Um, but yeah, I mean, for uh, every time I've been to the cinema, so even after like the first lockdown and, and so forth, everything everything has always felt safe. Everything has felt the measures that have been brought in have always felt right and enforced as well. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, and yeah, plenty of sanitizers and all that stuff all around. So um, so yeah, it yeah. it's it is generally nice to be back in the cinema. And I think especially when we talk about uh, Vin family and the movies. I think <laughs> I couldn't resist. <laughs> I will not get tired of that. I can tell you that now. <laughs> oh, I did a, I did a, oh, I did a Twitch stream yesterday, and every time we got into like a movie-related moment when we were watching like old episodes of Carmen San Diego or or RoboCop Alpha Commando, I just had to stop and go. You know, it's just like the the movies. In that sort of stuff. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, I love, I love that little, I love that little thing from Vin, and I like the fact that it. I also like the strange sort of SNL skit that they did afterwards as well, where they've got someone dressed up as Vin going, "It's great to be back in the movies with the popcorn, the drink, the hot dogs, the cheesy smell in the foyer, lots of litter, the sticky seats, gum." Loud people on phones, the movies. Yeah, <laughs> it's great to be back. <laughs> I mean, uh, to be fair, there wasn't much of those. I mean, I would normally agree with that. And mm. I, I I went off Cineworld uh, several years ago because of the low quality of the bulbs and the, the lighting mm. and all the rest of it, you know? Um, and, and, and you're not wrong about the phones and the gum and all that. And actually there was a minimum of that this time. Mm. There's a real minimum of that. And and the people who bothered to pay the money and turn up made it, were looking on their phones up to the start of it. But once the film was on, most of them switched them off. Yeah. Which is good, which is nice. It's the ideal yeah, cinematic thought, conditions. It was pretty much people were not afraid to, you know, laugh or talk in terms of responding to the film, but nobody was doing extraneous, you know, just doing their own thing and ignoring what's on the screen. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And there was quite a young audience for Nine as well. Quite a young audience. There's a lot of teens who turned up, and I think that was quite good. 
Anyway, film reviews are the name of the game here on Film Raw. So let's move on to our first review. And it is the follow-up to The Hitman's Bodyguard. The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Here's a clip. He has had a tremendous year. Michael Price is the bodyguard of the year. Woo! Is he a relative of yours? God, no. Darius Kincaid, the hitman, wanted for like a zillion murders around the world. And how often do you have this dream? Just once. Well, that's not A night. Right. I'm thinking you need to forget bodyguarding. I'm officially on sabbatical, and to be honest, I don't know why I didn't do this sooner. The world's been waiting for me to make this change. For the first time, I'm starting to imagine a life without bodyguarding. This really feels like a new Right, so uh, the sequel to The Hitman's Bodyguard uh, pretty much brings back everyone practically involved in the first one. So you've got you've got Patrick Hughes back in the director's chair. You've got Ryan Reynolds starring as uh, as the sort of where we where when the film technically starts here, it seems to be he's still scarred from the previous events of the last film. So uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds plays Michael Bryce here. He was a great bodyguard all until one bad job, which was ruined by Darius Kincaid, played by Samuel Jackson, an assassin, kills a target. Mm -hmm. Everything goes out the window. Um, In the last film, they had to put aside their differences to take down a war general. Now with this one, uh, Ryan Reynolds is still coming to terms of all the trauma that he's experienced in the previous film and is told to go off on holiday and try and forget the guns, forget bodyguarding, um, pretty much shooed away by his therapist. And uh, all that peace and quiet lasts all but um, I think less than five minutes in the film because all of a sudden he's picked up by Kincaid's wife, played by Salma Hayek, who needs him to go and help find uh, Kincaid himself and they and from there they sort of stumble onto this sort of uh world domination plots from Antonio Banderas's Greek businessman <laughs> megalomaniac sort of thing and the film just kind of and the film just kind of goes from there and oh this I mean I like the first one I do like the first one and I think I think yeah. the current I think the tri- I think the the agreement we both kind of had coming out of this film was something was really off with this film. Yeah, I mean, it, I, some you know, I, I, since I try the, I, much as I like reviews these days, I do have a tendency to not read them until after we've seen the film. You know, mm. you and I like to we're the kind of people who like to come up with our own ideas as much as we can about these things. I mean, because we, we do review shows ourselves, but at the same time, it's also good to know what the prevailing sort of windies with other writers and thinkers and i find it very interesting that we are not the only people to note that the film is distinctly uneven in tone some people are putting it down to the uh the the editing some people are putting it down to the fight scenes and the way they're shot some people are putting it down to um dialogue and i think i think and I, I don't want to, I don't know, you know, there's not been in all the interviews and the promotion, there's not been a lot of conversation about behind the scenes, but it does feel like a game of two halves. Mm. And the first half is the weaker half. The first half feels too fast and over edited and 
Um, camera placement is a bit odd occasionally. It, it feels like it's trying so hard to be funny when the director really wants to concentrate on the action. Mm. And then in the second half, actually, it starts to become, it, it finds a balance. Yeah. It's more balanced. The violence is given more room. The shot, the, the action scenes are better and clearer and more easily, and you can see them better. Um, I and, and part of it, I think, is because, I, and I, I just don't remember Ryan Reynolds' character being as whiny as he is in the first, uh, in, yeah. I don't remember being that whiny in the first film. He's so whiny. Um, and I also don't remember in the first film, I don't remember ordinary people and bystanders being quite as cannon, much cannon fodder. Like, I seem to remember that there's a car, there's a car chase in, is it Amsterdam? In the first one. In the first one? Yeah, see, yeah. The, the car chase up to the Hague. Yeah. Right. Okay. And that car chase, like, like you know, for one part of that car chase, Ryan Reynolds is actually sitting at the coffee house, isn't he? Sort of. Moaning his fate and cars are flying around everywhere. But what I don't remember seeing is lots of innocent people getting smacked around by the cars. Like, I'm sure there's collateral damage if we were wanting to treat it as a realistic, you know, action movie, but it's an action movie. Mm. Um, you know, this sequel, however, has no trouble saying, oh, look, we need to show him being more manly. Let's watch him drive a van into a couple of guys who are just working in a, in a newsstand, you know? and mm. smush through it without showing you what happens. There's a point where there's several points where innocent people get shot. And the only reason they got shot is to make is so that our heroes don't get hit by a bullet. Mm. Yeah. You know, and I like that wouldn't normally bother me because it is, there is a tradition of this in a certain tradition of this in action movies. P uh, Paul Verhoeven was the one who put it front and center in American blockbusters in total recall with the yeah. guy on the, on the escalator. But that was a, an overly brutal film in the first place, and it was also designed as a potential power fantasy. You know, the whole point of Total Recall is we don't know if it's real or not. Is this the whole dream that he paid for in his head, and therefore everything's over the top and violent that way? But hmm. this film isn't trying to be Total Recall. This film is supposed to be set in the in the modern world in the Europe we know now, and uh, except it's not now, is it? Because it's pre-pandemic, yeah. and that is the other thing that's so weird about it is maybe the other reason it doesn't quite work as a film is because they're obviously trying to cope with the reality of piecing it all together once the pandemic started. And it, you were saying to me that there's definitely scenes where certain people are not present and it's stunt, it's, it's doubles used from behind yeah. and it's CG work. And, and I think you're right. And I think that is a big problem. There's also a lot of CG in the action as well. Yeah. And like some things are clearly real models or real cars or things being blown up, but then the fire will look fake on it. And you're thinking, well, that's, I can clearly see an actual car blowing up. Why mm. does it suddenly look fake CG, even though the, the bits of the real car are still visible? It's all very odd. It's all very odd. And I'm really not quite sure where to point the finger. Mm. But yeah. at the same time, that second half, once they get once once we get to Italy, it kind of really kind of picks up and everything is better paced in the second half. Everything is, is better is better shot and edited, and there's some really crunchy fights. And Samuel L. Jackson, for his age, they make him look at really, really badass. Mm. But also Selma Hayek. I mean, she's yeah. allowed to just 
do whatever she wants on the screen. Yeah. They just let her loose. There and are, it's a, and she tears the whole thing up. There are some pretty terrifying lines that Samuel Hayek shouts at Ryan Reynolds at the start of this. And it, <laughs> it, and, it, and it, you kind of sit there for a moment going, did she really just say she would do that to someone else's dreams to make them a nightmare? That oh, was no. so funny, that line. <laughs> that was like, I will get my strap on out. I was just so funny. It just and, she, and the thing is that... It, it it's it it's that thing of using swearing for comedy comedic purposes, but doing it in a way where the swearing kind of builds up and piles up until yeah. it's just hysterically ridiculous. And she does that really well. Mm. And yet, when when she and Banderas meet up, it's like it's like twenty plus years haven't happened, and they've still got the chemistry they had in Desperado. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like I could have just watched a movie with her and him as the villain. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, going back, going back to the first half, I think you are right. It seems the first half does seem very odd. I mean, considering the first film, there is that build up. There is that build up of obviously you get you get the initial bit of how Ryan Reynolds' bodyguard is in the horrible state that he's in, but you get to a step. But it is a slow build towards what the story needs to be. This takes us full pelt into it, and it kind of feels like. It kind of feels like we've just got to find a way to shoehorn uh, the assassin, the bodyguard, and the assassin's wife into this into this global threat storyline because it's like there's no yeah. there's yeah. no sort of instant connection to Antonio Banderas. There's there's little uh, connections to some of the henchmen. So yeah, so you got Tom Hopper as this rival a uh, rival bodyguard to Sam uh, to Brian Reynolds. You also have. Uh, you also have this uh, top-notch uh, Asian assassin who is supposed to be even badder than uh, Kincaid and so forth. So you get these little, you get these little, little parallel universes, which is very weird, but also quite yeah. funny at the same time. Um, yeah, and that was all, and that was, and that really stood out in the second half, mm. where we got to sort of discern different characters amongst the bad guys. Mm. We got to discern that we were the plot was clearer. Uh, there's a big reveal that I don't want to spoil that seems to turn the entire plot inside out on its head in the middle yeah. and yet that is only one that's that leads to other twists later on but that from that moment on everything felt more just a little bit more serious yeah and that balance is what it needed before that it was too overtly silly mm. see, um, see and then you know see i i think and this is this is from how i i view the film i think the 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 more the story goes on the more utterly ridiculous it becomes and it's like it's like the the first time Sam Hayek and Antonio and Banderas meet they they sort of like oh, you know each other it's like yes let us look back <laughs> this flashback and I and I know it leads on to like another joke and another sort of mini revelation down the line but I I I think you you probably remember me sat in the cinema just going what the f- Fuck is yes, going on you with were. this film. You really were. <laughs> because I, 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 it's like it just, it just, it just kind of went. You know what? We're going to be ridiculous. All right, how ridiculous? Ah, let's just keep being ridiculous all the way to the end credits. No one's going to pay yeah. attention to this shit. I am. But this is the thing, right? What do we? expect from these sorts of films like one of the things i liked about the first film mm. and one of the things i liked about patrick hughes work on the expendables 3 which i should point out is my favorite of the expendables 
And I think he, I think he brought a really good sense of how to update the 80s style that they were trying for in the first film and the 90s slickness that Simon West brought to the second film without losing sight of how to shoot cool and interesting action scenes mm -hmm. rather than just have big musty guys all standing there going, look, we're firing guns. You know, he did something interesting with it. And there's some really cool moments in that third film. And I feel like, and, and, and I felt like with the Hitman's, Hitman's Bodyguard, he, he continued that. There's some beautifully shot scenes. Everything's very clearly blocked and laid out. You know, the stunts are for stunts sake. When, you know, a film about a bodyguard and a hitman, you're going to, to, to there's certain action or types of action we expect to see. And I thought he really did a great job with it. But this time around, it just feels kind of, it feels like the worst teenage excesses of those old 80s movies like mm. oh yeah we don't care if adults come and see this we're making this for those kids who will rent it on vhs even though they're not old enough you know it's like look we're gonna make sure she gets we're gonna have a sexy actress in there and we'll make sure that she gets her chest out visible and we'll make sure that there's loads and loads of swearing because gee swearing's funny and we'll also make sure there's a daddy issue thing going on there because mm. that way the teenage boys will, will relate to ryan reynolds character etc etc do you know what i mean yeah and there is a point where i was kind of like uh okay maybe i am just getting old maybe at 50 i've just seen too many action movies in my life but it was also just a sense there was a i could it couldn't the third this the second film could not avoid feeling like a bit by the numbers and a bit of a desperate attempt to say we must have a big you know the, the hollywood thing about the the sequel has to be bigger and louder and Goria, you know, like yeah. Die Hard 2. Yeah. This is very Die Hard 2 in that sense. Mm. And, and and I I love Die Hard 2, don't get me wrong, but I will freely admit that the script for Die Hard 2 is nowhere near as funny or as tight as the script for Die Hard 1. Yeah. You know, and there's no characters as weirdly amusing as um oh, what's the jerk with the flashy clothes and and trying to hit on his on his wife in Die Hard One. Oh, 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 oh! Do you know what I mean? It's not Ellis, is it Ellis? It's Ellis. Yeah, it's Some, Ellis. It is okay. So you know, there's nobody like that in Die Hard Two, right? There's no real character who quite fills that role, and yeah. and there's there's all these interesting. Everybody who turns up in Die Hard is an interesting side character. You know, when the two FBI guys turn up, they're made very interesting very quickly. You know, mm. it's not just the actors who are playing them. Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard has interesting people in it, but only in the second half. Like you said, when we see this other assassin and then they make this conflict between him and Jackson, that suddenly the, that feels like a, its own better movie. Yeah. You know, it's very Hong Kong. They make sure that the action, you know, Samuel gets to do the John Woo thing because he likes that, you know, but then they side this with the, the Ryan Reynolds bit and him and Banderas. And that is also, at, by that point in the film, is entertaining and interesting. But to get to the bad guys to get to the final scene the final fight the final mm. big bust up they have to get through layers of security and they do that by persuading interpol to work with them and give them a decoy and i think even you were as shocked as i as i certainly was when that decoy goes horribly quickly bloodily wrong like it wasn't even played like seriously and yet there's blood bags going off everywhere and you're like whoa is that really meant to be a joke it's, it's just like they just wanted this like 
they just wanted two they just wanted two people to be a decoy. And it's like, they're going to die. Do we care? Fuck no. Let's just send them yes. on their way. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the weird thing. I felt like part of what made the first film interesting is that Reynolds is a bodyguard and it's his job to save people. Mm. Whereas Jackson is a hitman, it's his job to kill people. And that fundamental difference between them made for a very simplistic but interesting moral conflict in the story. It's, it's, it's a good comic book principle. Yeah. You know, really nice and simple. This one, the film is like, oh, no, it's great now because we can let Reynolds loose. Mm. His bodyguard character doesn't care anymore, like you said. And actually, at that point, it stops being quite as fun. No, because you, you, what's the difference? You kind of just lose kind of... A, it sounds weird, but you do lose a little bit of respect for a character who, if you've watched the first film, and I mean, you're probably watching this film because you've seen the first film. And yes, like you said, in the first film, he's a bodyguard, but there's always a sense of duty there. So even if he doesn't, li- even if he yes. doesn't like Samuel Jackson, he will protect him. If it's to bring down yes. a deadly war criminal, he will do what needs to be Great. done. Here, yeah. By, yeah. by the time by the time the third act comes around, and yes, there are plot developments that put him on that direction. There are little things like that, and I can get that. It just, it just feels like the characters morphed into something unpleasant in a way or something yes. unpleasant and something that's just not true to the character we saw in the first film. Um, yes. yes. And I, and I think when it's just like, it's like, it's, I think ultimately it's like you said about Die Hard 2, they basically they've taken, they've taken bits that worked with the Hitman's bodyguard, the first one. They, mm-hmm. they've amped it up, but then they've not really thought about, the overall impact of it, I suppose. And and I think, I think mm. that's why, while I didn't, ultimately I didn't mind the sequel. It's like, I know it's been very much slated on reviews. Um, I'm okay with mm. it. I don't, I haven't regretted the, the hour and 40 minutes I sat in the cinema watching it. Um, but I would, I would be hard pushed to possibly buy it for my collection. I mean, I've got the first one on, I've got the first one on Blu-ray and I like the first one, mm. but it's like, mm. Even I, yeah, I was even thinking I about felt, buying it the other week. You know. Yeah, yeah. Even even I would feel a bit odd bringing this one because it just feels like it's a it it feels like it's a it just goes off on a completely different path. And while it's very wild and unexpected, and yes, ridiculous and silly and mm. funny because of it, sometimes it just yeah, it's like we said at the top of the view, something just seems very off with this film. Um, and yeah, it especially when you look at things like obviously actors not being there and the CGI. I think some of the CGI is woeful at times and it's, it's like awful. and it's, it's like awful. It's like considering this is like a big this is probably like a good release for Lionsgate because it's like I don't think anyone expected it to do well but it did very well. Uh, it, it did all right yeah. at the box office the first one. It just seems like yeah. everyone's just coming into I mean like you said we don't know how much of say the pandemic's affected and so forth but again it just feels it's very sloppily edited sometimes. The CGI doesn't help. It's very clear when certain actors are not even in the same room for an action sequence. It is. It's like, it's jarring. You you can't really get into it. Yeah. And there's whole sequences where they just knock out Ryan Reynolds' character just because it's funny to watch him get knocked out. And then he just spends the next action sequence not there. Yeah. You know, yeah. that happens more than once. And 
I do, I think that is part of what makes the film weirdly uncomfortable is they take, as you said earlier, they t- they strip this guy of what is interesting, you know, and 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 he's basically just becomes this figure of fun. Um, I forgot to say earlier that when I was talking about innocent people getting savage, the one that really struck me is they get a really good British comedic actress at the beginning to play Ryan Reynolds' psychiatrist. Yes, Rebecca Font. And from, then, um, yeah, Rebecca Font, she's amazing. Yeah, she's a fantastic actress. And they give her great lines and it's a really good opening com- comedy sequence and it actually works quite well. But then we get a flashback where you see what happens to her and that's horrible. Mm. And we're meant to laugh at that. It's it, You know what this... Okay, so going back to the 80s reference, that's the thing I was meant to say earlier when I mentioned the 80s. Mm. There was a time where these sorts of films, the things that you made fun of in both... And and even the Bond films occasionally did this, but not very mm. often. You know, you made fun of whatever was currently the preoccupation for the kind of people you thought were coming to the audience. And so, for example, you are going to like in the Lethal Weapons. You know, he's always making fun of the psychologist, mm. right? Because you're not yeah. going to take that stuff seriously. You know, hey, I'm just a guy who likes to shoot things. It's cool, right? And the second Lethal Weapon ups the ante with how go- I mean the, don't get me wrong the first one's gory but the first one is a dead serious thriller and there's funny moments in it the second one starts with the Warner Brothers cartoon music of the opening car chase and gets sillier from there and then like you know it's meant to be a joke that someone's head gets taken bad guy's head gets taken off by a surfboard mm. right and this feels like that kind of film this feels like the kind of film someone that like people who grew up watching Lethal Weapon 2s and going, well, that's better than Lethal Weapon 1, which it's not, and saying, I want to make that kind of film. And oh, who are the people I can't stand? Well, I don't like psychologists. I don't like weak namby-pamby boys or what I think of as weak namby-pamby boys. What I admire are hard men, mm. you know? And it, it has that kind of feel. You know, it's like it's almost like the anti-nerd film. It's almost like they've decided to go, well, everyone's watching these. You know, everyone's watching these superhero films with 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 nerds in them. Let's remind them of who should be a real hero. You know, that, yeah. that's kind of part of what I felt thematically. That's part of what I was getting from this film. And I don't know how deliberate that is. Maybe that's one of those things that the writers didn't even notice they were doing it. They just thought they were doing something funny with the character. But I I do kind of wonder by the time we get to the end of the film, you know, what really was the point of it all? Yeah. And with that in mind... Shame, really. With that in mind, we have to give it a star rating out of five here on the show. Oh, uh, God, we do, don't we? We do. Um, <laughs> I, I, as much as I didn't mind it, I think there are, there are some bits that don't work. And I think it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a sequel that had some potential, but just kind of squandered it through those those sort of ways. Just being very lazy with mm. editing, being very lazy with special effects, um, just kind mm. of thinking more is better, and let's not think about the consequences. So, um, with that in mind, I would say two and a half. I, I can't, I can't give it free. I can't. It's like I can't. Mean no, I agree. Free, but I, I agree. Because you and I. Ha- we said on Sunday, we said, oh, I think maybe we could, we'd have, if we were generous, we would give it a three. Yeah. But no, now that we've had time to think about it, I am absolutely with you on this. Two and a half at best. I'm tempted to say two. You know, I would really, I'm so tempted to go to two, but I will say two and a half because there was enough professionalism and, and filmmaking talent and quality behind the production yeah. that for all the things that went wrong, there was enough, just enough that went right for me to go. Yeah. Okay. 2.5. Yeah. 
I think I think being able to watch it in a cinema uh, with friends such as yourself uh, and and obviously Kim as well, I think obviously helped the experience a bit because I think if I sat and I watched that by myself, I think I would be more unkind to this film. <laughs> And I would be. Yeah, no, same. I would, I, if, 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 for a start, I wouldn't have gone to see it in the cinema. If I'd gone to see it in the cinema on my own, I would have been like, why did I waste my money and my yeah. time? With you, it was different. It's a friend, it's that classic community thing that they keep selling us mm. at the movies. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, but it, I also think it is, um, it is a film that I had higher expectations for, given the what the the surprise of the first film. Yeah, and I think it's a classic. It's a typically Lionsgate thing to go. Oh look, we just happened to have a hit. Let's get a sequel out, and then the sequel just doesn't quite work. You know. Yeah. Um, does this? And also, do we want a third one? Because it's almost like the end is almost like screaming. There's going to be a third one, and I'm like, no. I. But there will be, won't there? Considering how things are left off, I'm kind of terrified how far it will even go on in that direction well, I, one of the reviews i was looking at said we can't be far off to hitman's um, mother and was it the hitman's bodyguard's mother-in-law or something like that given the oh ending, it so would be knows. the hitman's wife's son's bodyguard but if you've seen something the film like, but if oh you've seen God. the film you know that definitely cannot make any sense at all <laughs> it it's just uh i i i can't yeah I can't see where it goes. Let's, I can't see where it goes. Let's just leave it at that. Hitman's Wife's Bodyguards, yeah. two and a half stars here on Film Raw. Right, let's mm. move away from crazy assassins and bodyguards over to crazy cars and good old Vin Diesel and a whole heap of family. It's F9, the Fast Saga, and here's a clip. Y'all ever thought about the wild missions we've been on? We've taken out planes, trains, tanks. I'm not going to even think about the submarines. And now we got cars flying in the air? Who is he? Jacob is Dom's brother. That's a long time, Dom. Little brother. You always say never turn your back on family. You turned your back on me. Now your little family is in my world. So this is the ninth film in the Fast and Furious franchise, or if you're including Hobbs and Shaw, the tenth. And uh, yes, mm. everyone's back again. Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez, Ludacris, Tyrese—they're all—they're all here. They're all here. And uh, basically, Vin, Vin, and Michelle—they've been kind of chilling out on a farm for the last couple of years with little baby Brian uh, that uh, that came to light at the end of the, the Fate of the Furious, which is Fast and Furious 8. And um, all mm. of a sudden, they are brought straight back into the crazy international spy espionage world that they have somehow been able to find themselves in since Fast and Furious, the fourth one, not the Fast and Furious, mm-hmm. Fast and Furious, naming conventions. And... Um, yeah, it just basically the a long story short, the the gang, the family gang, come back together to stop John Cena, who plays Vin Diesel's brother, from uh, mm-hmm. grabbing a secret, a top secret weapon that could literally just destroy all of civilization. And there are cars, there are chases, mm-hmm. there are scantily clad ladies. There's talk of family. There's cameos, and it's every it's everything you expect a Fast and Furious movie to be, and Considering we are nine films in now, you know what? I just like it, the 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 strange thing is, it's like 
if there was any film right now, I'm so happy that I saw in a cinema just to enjoy the, to enjoy the, the ridiculous, ludicrous levels of madness. It had to be the Fast Saga. It really did. Yeah. 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 That's the film you go back to the cinema for. Yeah. That's the one. It's just, it. it's big. It's brash. It, 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 it it's silly and yet it's also weirdly moving mm. in places um i i know it's ridiculous and over the top but the 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 potent, the sort of sacrifice scene which then isn't a sacrifice scene but the way that scene is handled is actually really good i thought mm. even if it is slightly superheroic and that's again both of these films show the effect of the marvel films yeah right they show the effect of the superhero success these films are films that weren't superhero films but they are now addressing the fact that they've lasted this long and who these heroes are and and you know it's a there's a nice meta running meta gag about survival and how mm. come we are still here um but at least in in this, at least in Fast and the Furious, they don't just go, "Oh yeah, so and so's back." In the way that a lot of superhero ones do, yeah. You know, they take, they give it some weight. You know, one of my favorite moments in the film is because not, I don't think everybody spotted that Lucas Haas, who's a really, who I genuinely think is a quite a good actor, uh, and who was the lead, the the young lead in Fast and the Furious Three: Tokyo Drift, with the one without Vin Diesel. Yeah, he he came back a couple of film, a, a last film or the film before. He's when he turns up in this film, I was like, oh, cool. Even though he's not got a driving role. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. So does this kind of connect with the subplot line running about Han? And when they do it much later on, I was like, I genuinely felt something because this was, this guy was his mentor in that film. Mm. And, and they, the actors are good enough actors that they played that moment really well and i was like that's cool but also it is also a little bit of a, a, a movie making by numbers we we fast and the furious for me has 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 moment for moment stunt for stunt been more enjoyable than the bond series in craig's era right and mm-hmm. possibly even the end of Brosnan. and you know i like the, the at least two of the four craigs right yeah but i genuinely feel like Fast and the Furious, particularly five and six. Is five five is the Brazil one, right? Yeah, fast, fast five. Yeah. Rio heist, as some posters say it's in the UK. So good. Yeah, but it's so good. Such a great, powerful action movie that makes use of the stars and the characters, but doesn't overload you with drama the way but and now at nine, we now have all of these recurring faces. Lots of you know nods back and throwbacks and connecting and bringing back people, mm. which I like in a soap opera kind of way because that's what it is. It is a soap opera now. Yeah. Um. But you do kind of go, well, who's next? Yeah. Uh, but at least along the way, they have the super insane action sequences. They have the. Um, I did enjoy the fact that every that the the thing that is starting to weave together the the strands of the saga as it starts to roll towards the last few films of it because they are clear on it ending. Yeah, I like the fact that Kurt Russell's character from a few films ago is is the thread now. Yeah, 
because he's Mr. Nobody, as they call him, the spy, yeah. he can they can make anything happen because it's him. It's like yeah. magic. Like, you know, he's Doctor Strange. He turns up and boom, it's all <laughs> fine. And and that's okay. And I'm okay with that. I like mm. Kurt Russell being in that series. I think it's cool. I loved it when Statham was in it. I loved it when Don when um uh, Dwayne Johnson was in it. I've always liked who they bring into the film series. And honestly, I really think Cena was not as bad as everyone was expecting. You know, I really thought he did a very good job. I will, I considering I have watched quite a number of Cena films over the last couple of years. Um, mm. I think it's very interesting. He's done some review. He's done some interviews uh, about his film career, especially with Fast Nine, and the early films like The Marine and Twelve Rounds, which are guilty mm. pleasures. Of I mine. really like both of those films. Yeah, I like pleasures. those films a lot. But he, mm. but the way he, when he talks about the films now, he goes, well, it wasn't necessarily a film that I just wanted to go and do. It was uh, part of my commitment to WWE. They just basically said, hey, we need yeah, you for- Yeah, those are WWE films. Yeah, we need you for a film in Australia. You, you're going tomorrow. It's like, all right, fine, off I go. Um, and that was probably the cause for, that was pretty much the case for a lot of Cena's early work. But ever since he did mm. Trainwreck, which was Judd Apatow's um, sort of drama with uh, Amy Schuler, um, or Amy Schumer, mm. sorry. Um, his career has slowly but surely been going up and up. So really good turns in films like Blockers. Um, he looks really good in The Suicide Squad. He's got a really good knack yeah. for comedy as well. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah. I think but fast, here he's being yeah. classic tough guy yeah. rather than comedy, and yet it still works. He still—I thought he was genuinely quite menacing. Yeah, yeah, and you could you could kind of believe him to be Vin Diesel's brother, especially in terms of the body mass yeah. size and all that sort of stuff. But I also like just touching on like the the story of the Toretto's. I kind of like the fact that they do nod back to uh, the incident that takes. Uh, Dom's father, the racing track incident, and I thought that was the best thing they did. And it was like linking in the little, the little bits that Vin Diesel dropped in the very first film of saying, "Oh yeah, I served some time because I beat uh, uh, someone in the racing paddock to almost within an inch of their life." And it's like, if you know, yeah. if, been, if you know yeah. those films, you know that stuff's coming. And it's like, oh, we're actually going to see this yeah. play out. And even in some of the flashback scenes, they you see some of the younger versions of the crew that will eventually be part of Vin Diesel's crew at the start of Fast and Furious. And I like those bits. Yeah. It's, like, it's like you're saying about yeah. how they're weaving all the threads. I like it. Yes, sometimes it's possibly a little bit of retconning here and there. Obviously, in the case of things mm. like Jason Statham turning up to kill Han in the end of Fast and Furious 6, which obviously sets us off for Fast and Furious 7, all that sort of stuff. But I think they do it mm. in a way that, that ultimately does work. Yes, it could be a little bit contrived. It could be just eye-rolling. But the fact is, in a storytelling sense, it kind of makes sense to a degree. And that's yeah, and I'm fine yeah. with that. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ultimately, yes, it's the stand, it's the it's it's the standard kind of tick the boxes for Fast and Furious 9 here. Obviously, global threat, family gotta come together, mm -hmm. car chases, explosions, that sort of stuff. I like the fact that they are building Charlie Ferron as like one of the current big bad for the last film and with this film and mm -hmm. pretty much the last mm -hmm. two films. Mm -hmm. um, again, rolling mm -hmm. on, keeping that mm -hmm. sort of thread together. And I think all around, this is mm -hmm. just, a, it's a solid entry in the franchise. It's probably not the, yeah. it's probably not the best. I think, as we talked a bit earlier, I think Fast Five is where things really came together and it just felt like lightning mm -hmm. in a bottle. Obviously, 
You come off the success mm-hmm. of Fast and Furious. Uh, you bring in this new ingredient with Dwayne Johnson, who also helped sort of jolt the box office there a little bit. And mm-hmm. and even mm-hmm. then, Fast Five wasn't about spying or espionage. It was about it was about a crew putting together a heist trying to yes. sort of get themselves back home. And only from yeah. six onwards is it always is it been about like the spy world in per se because of well, that's because, of, that's because Yeah. I mean that does have something to do with the Statham character. Mm. You know, I mean once they introduce Statham as being ex special force, ex special yeah. ex intelligence and all it will you you know the list, whatever the list is, you know, once they introduced that, you kind of they kind of saw a different avenue and that's also the point where justin lynn had left it's worth noting yeah and i think lynn i think it's worth saying that lynn has uh not only always kept the film quite grounded in la given his indie roots as a director and filmmaker um i think that that's what this film does this film as you say because it takes us right back to 1989 Mm. and connects us to pre-first film but reminds us of all the ingredients of the first film Mm. you know it's a deliberate you know it's a deliberate choice to connect us back to the start of the series because they're saying look we're getting ready to finish this yeah so we're taking you all the way back we're setting that up and they do that really well they handle that very very well um and i also thought and this is really interesting the 1989 scenes Right, spoiler for people who haven't seen the, well, at least one of the trailers that shows you this. Um, it's NASCAR racing, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, is it NASCAR? It is it's, NASCAR, it's, right? Yeah, it's, so, it's it's stop build car racing where they're just going around in one direction and trail. It's it's very it's pretty right. much NASCAR on the on the button there. Right. So 1990 is the uh, Days of Thunder came out. Oh yeah, which has just had a re-release. And I really felt like this was kind of a, I don't know if it was deliberate by Lynn or not, but it did feel visually. I felt like this was a, again, like Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, you know, this whole thing of we think 80s action movies are the standard and we're trying to be like them. Yeah. Right. Even though Rob Cohen, the, who directed Triple um, X and Fast and Furious 1 with Vin and came, he came, he was a producer on Mammy Vice. He cut his teeth directing TV episodes mm. and then moved into movies. And he, he, he understood, you know, his, he, he's very, I, I see his films and I think of him as a 90s director, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a very slick, a guy capable of putting together a very slick package um, for the cinema. Um, but this, the, Lynn has all, even though he's he's perfect, he's as slick as can be as a director. He actually knows how to roughen it up within the Fast and the Furious films. He knows when to have be slick and when to have grit and dirt and sand, mm-hmm. you know. And and going right back to this raw, sunny, dusty eight nineteen eighty nine, is brilliant. It looks great. It great regrounds the film. It it reminds you that this film series has come a long way. But bec- but it that it reminds you that there is a core to the film, and that they you know need to that the films need to get back to. And it's almost like it needs to work a certain amount of James Bond stuff out of its system. Yeah. It's almost like Lynn's come back and gone, you know, those last two films, I'm going to work that stuff out of my system now. Yeah. Let's get, let's get out of, let's get away from that. Let's get back to what this is about. Mm. And, and I thought they did that really well. And, mm. and, and the, the, the car, the, 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 the stunt work is absolutely impeccable. Yes. Um, 
you know, Lynn was the guy who brought CG heavily into heavily into the series, although there was some in the earlier films. But, you know, uh, three and four, or four in particular, has way too much CG in the finale, from my view, the one where yeah. they go through the drug tunnels. But then he was like, oh, people want it to be more about raw and real. And he went back to that for five and then achieved this really nice blend. And I think here... Here, the blend is still decent. It's not as good as it could be, but most of the time you see a car go flying, there is a real car going flying, even if they've touched up things or covered up wires or what have you. Mm -hmm. And the finale in Belize with the big, wide Europe, Eastern European roads it's, and that massive truck is fantastic. I'm, I think it's one of the more memorable finales for a Fast and Furious film. I mean, we have the submarine in A, Seven was the drones, yep. which was a bit, which was a bit just kind of, it felt a bit muted. Yeah. Uh, six, six, we had the yeah. airplane uh, with people flying out the airplane and fighting in the airplane, fighting and driving all around the airplane, all that sort of stuff. But no, this is like, gen I mean, yes, there's, again, there is CGI in this sequence, in this, in this finale sequence, mm. but unlike the Hitman's bodyguard, it doesn't make the, the sequence or the moment feel cheap. So I, no. I, no, and, no, and, and, and he will definitely test. There are times where I, I was shouting in kind of shock and awe at sometimes. It's like when someone gets taken yes. out by a car, just one person just stood, stood on a car. Oh, that was and, so cool. And another car just flings and just takes them out completely. It's like, I just went, oh no, that car's going to go. That was, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was the thing, you know, again, that whole Bondian thing of making sure certain bad guys get it in the neck a certain, or get, you know, get killed off in a way that entertains. Yeah. You know, that, that's a very much a, a thing that Bond gave us with these movies, even if it comes sort of out of Westerns and things. And it's just, yeah, they were really good. They were like, yeah, we know you, you know, we, we're putting this, we've put this tough guy in. He's been in this film long enough now. You Now you're seeing how he, his chops. And, and let, let, let us give praise where praise is due. You know, J.J. Perry, one of the best fight choreographers in the business right now, you know, absolutely makes these fights crunchy, tough, you feel the impacts and um and and so he gives it this, this really great fight between the henchman and um and 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 Cena's character and and then as you say it's like okay you got to get take the henchman out in an interesting way let's do something yeah. cool but then there's also the obligatory girl fight Rodriguez and Brewster go to Tokyo and they get to throw down with a bunch of assassins in inside a Japanese apartment and that is cool you know if anything it's even better than uh, Rodriguez's sequence with Ronda Rousey in, in Dubai, was it Dubai? Yeah, or... in Furious 7. Yeah, you know, that was a great fight given who they were, but this is a better fight mm. by far. And Brewster, it's great to see Mia finally getting really in on the action even more, really kicking butt, but also seeing her get in on the emotional side. This is her brother too. Mm. And I love that they gave her and Rodriguez's character, um, they gave the two, Letty and... Mia get emotional time together, not just action time. It makes them both seem deeper characters, but it also makes them connect. Again, takes us back to the beginning. Yeah. Connects it all up. And I thought that was quite cool. It feels like a grown-up film. And mm. it feels like a grown-up film about grown-ups who did very ungrown-up things. Yeah. And they're now questioning themselves and going, do you know what? It, it, it's not Logan and it's not any of those other old man kind of films, but it mm. feels like it's kind of in that mold. Yeah. You know, the the aging cowboy, the aging spy, the, the okay, I've, you know, like Red, you know? It's like, okay, 
I've, and I, I make the red reference with knowing that Helen Mirren's in this, you know, yeah. but it's kind of that thing of, okay, guys, we're getting a bit old and creaky at this. Maybe we need to, 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 to dial it down. Um, I want to address one thing though. One okay. thing that I think we should address and I'm a spoiler alert. Okay. So, um, they do mention this in a trailer. It has been mentioned in reviews, but if you don't know this, spoiler alert. So the series doesn't wait like Bond does for Moonraker to go into space. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they don't wait. They're not going to wait for film 10. They do it now. However, throughout the sequence, which is frankly silly as all get out, mm. not only are the guys themselves making fun of it, but one of the things that really struck me was we've already, when in reality, in reality, Elon Musk took a car up into orbit and then dropped it. When that actually happened in reality, how silly is this really? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it seems silly. And then you remember, no, we saw a car shot through a windscreen, a photograph through a windscreen of a car in orbit before it plummeted. Mm. Like, it's someone's already done this for real it's really not that it's not the biggest leap and and i think the dialogue between tej and um uh oh crikey what's tyrone's Ty Ty character called i he's always been the butt of the joke uh Dude, hang on hang on hang on yeah let me find out let me look it up um uh, Tyrese's character Roman. So yeah. Roman and Tej, they used to be more of a comedy duo. Now that the great that Natalie Emmanuel, who and it's great to have a Brit in there, by the way, big up Natalie from mm -hmm. Game of Thrones. You know, uh, doing much better in these films. And she and Ludacris. Now that Tej and her, Ramsey are, are, are a couple, they obviously it's a weird kind of Roman keeps trying to put him back, his, his push back in as a friend and getting mm. pushed back out. But there's two things I thought they did really well. Even though Roman has always been the butt of the joke since the second film. I like the fact that they know that Tyrese as an actor has now done Transformers and he's mm -hmm. been done military training and he's a lot buffer and he can do the gun work better. And so they let him have his serious action moments. But he and Ted, they're in there together and they're saying, and there's a line where they say, can you believe it? Two dudes from the hood and we're in space. <laughs> and I think that, I think that I can't begin to emphasize the importance of that in terms of pure representation if the, if this series has been about diversity and bringing together different races and different genders and different ages and all from all over the world into an action a hollywood action franchise that idea the idea that you could be an ordinary guy from an ordinary part of the world but you could get into space mm. That's going to impact somebody. There's going to be a kid out there who watches this and is going to think, okay, okay, joking aside, why can't I be an astronaut? Hmm. Yeah, and that's good. why this series is so great. That's hmm. what I love about this series. Yeah. So we've got, we definitely have two more films to come. Uh, I believe they're going to start. Yes, so, yeah, I thought it was going to be one. And then he's like, no, it's going to be one and two. Yeah. Like, so uh, I believe they, they're going to start filming them back to back as of January next year i think there is supposed to be another there i think i think there was an interview with tyrese where tyrese was sort of hinting that he was going to get a spin-off or possibly might get a spin-off okay i think which, he wants one probably, i think it's one of those it could work it could work yeah. it could work, nice. it, could work. it could work mm. um but yeah i think they're still trying to do i think they're still they would like to do a hobson shaw too as well 
which, which, yes, yeah, that's I'm the, up that's that. the, that is the only story because some of this does branch over from some stuff does branch over a bit from Hobson Shaw as well because we obviously yep. saw yep. Helen Mirren breaking out of jail by the end of Hobson Shaw and now she's here yep. in Fast Nine. Um, but yeah. it's like I think it's the the evil organization that Idris Elba was part of. I think it's Echelon or something like that. I, yes. I can, it's like they must be playing into, they must be popping up. If if there is an end game for Fast and Furious and it's involving that organization, I would not be surprised if we see that in 10 and the final one, 11. Mm. I mean, because mm. you, you don't mm. you don't introduce like a, an evil organization which has had ties to these characters, some of these characters, and then just go, oh, just forget about that. We, we, it's like, we were never here. Hush, hush, wink, wink. Yeah. We're secret spies. Yeah. I mean, yeah. part part of me kind of felt part of me kind of felt the mysterious head of that organization was either going to be Ryan Reynolds or it was going to be John, <laughs> or it was going to be the first appearance of John Cena in the series. And it's like, oh, John yeah. Cena, yeah. Dwayne John J yeah. Dwayne the Rock Johnson, WrestleMania rematch, the third one. Be fun. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, here's the thing, right? I think that what they should do now that Lynn has kind of moved it back to cars and, you know, the crew doing a kind of crazy heist, I think what needs to happen is they save the spy stuff for Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. That's where it belongs. You know, mm. Hobbs and Shaw works so much better at that crazy spy stuff. And because it's not solely predicated on vehicles, they can do whatever they want action wise. Yeah. And I think they should just leave, they should just let the last, if they're going to do two more of these, let those last two just be pure car heist racing type films. You know, let's, let's stop worrying about saving the world, stop worrying about spies, stop worrying about all that stuff. Because that's, in the end, that's not really what this series has been about. It's cool that they, they've, it's got to that level. Mm. I love that they went out there and said, fine, we're going to do that. Let yeah. these people be the heroes. But I feel like they have now done that role and it's time to bring it home. And I would be fine with that if that's what they do. Let Just, just let's get back to the crazy cars, racing, cool heists, weird stuff. And let's also think about the consequences because there are kids out there now in this family. Yeah. This is true. May not be um, so great for them. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's the, there's a little bit at the start of of the film where Vin's not really keen on going back into it because he has his little baby boy. Mm. But yeah. um, but obviously things bring him back into the fold. So obviously they are still mindful all about the family. Oh, <laughs> well, on that note, on that note, actually, it isn't just the family they're mindful. Given what we were saying about innocent people, even though it is obviously their fault, as in, uh, you know, Vin and the crew yeah. are getting shot at by bad guys in Belisi in the final car chase. Mm. Nevertheless, there is a point where he looks out of his window. He sees that bullets are ricocheting off his own car towards innocent people. And so he pulls the car to one side and, dry, and, and, and swerves the car so that his car takes all the hits and blocks the civilians yes, long enough a, for them yes. to get to safety. Yeah, and I if you that. go back to fast, yeah, and if you go back to fast, is it fast five that has the bit in Spain with the tank? Uh, or is it four, five that has the tank? It's five, isn't it? No, five, five has the has the giant vault. The plane. I think no, six has the plane. Six has the plane. So five has the tank. I don't think so. I think, no, I no, think it's, it's no. You're right. Six has both tank and plane. Yes, there you go. <laughs> yes. 
So yes. So the thing is, do you remember that bit where the tank starts literally crushing cars that have clearly got drivers and families in them? Yeah. And they're like, guys, we have to stop this. Mm. And I and, and that's also the bit where it turns Letty's uh, character as well and all that stuff. That's yes. again, this is a series that recognizes, you know, even though it's adventure and it's action and it's having fun, it still does that thing that people discuss in superhero films you know are they you know what about the bystanders mm. you know this film takes that seriously these guys are like you know we're in it to win it but we're not in it to win it at the cost of some rando on the street who's got nothing to do with us it's nothing to do with them yeah and i really respect them for continuing to keep that idea going yeah that's 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 i hadn't really thought of that or remembered that from that from that angle so thanks for raising that point that's a good point that's i think in comparison to hitman's wife's bodyguard it's fast and furious. They're responsible family superhero car driver <laughs> spies, all that sort of stuff. But um, let's. Um, <laughs> it's like it's all about the family, but also about the yeah. people. Everyone's family. Yes. Everyone's family, yeah. of course. Um, so yeah. let's uh, let's get a star rating for this. Um, I'm I'm quite happy. I mean, giving this four to be honest, because I just I just like seeing it on a big screen. I'm probably going to end up getting getting it uh, because it's oh, like, I mean, I, I still, need to, get, I still, I still okay. need to get the 4K set of the entire thing and they're going to do probably another set yeah. of this one anyway. Yeah. So I, I, it's like, yeah. it's like it, it will eventually be in my collection. Um, but yes. no, I, I think, I think just, I think at this moment in time for a film to uh, cinema to just kind of remind people why we go to the movies. I think four's a very respectable score for this film. I, I mean, I'd be um, very pushed I, to say yeah. it'd be like a five or four. And I say I say four more because of the spectacle, the entertainment, and again, just seeing again seeing it in a cinema with 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 friends and people mm. just makes the experience yeah. just and that other people much going better. whoa and yeah yeah. I mean, I mean, I can see my Blu-rays here on the shelf of four, five, six, seven, eight. And I know the Hobson Shaw steelbook is in the other room. Mm. And yeah, like you, at some point, the only reason I didn't go for the 4K upgrades is because I'm aware that the, every, for various reasons, mm. they're all sourced from different masters. So it's very yeah. annoying. Some are upscaled, some are or proper native 4Ks. So until they sort that out, I'm not really bothered. But I do have uh, Hobson Shaw in 4K. Mm. And, I, and, and obviously from now on, I'll go 4K. But um, leaving aside that you're right i think i want to give it a four and a half just because of the crazy stunts and the quality jj perry hand-to-hand choreography and also for the uh the the relationship stuff but actually it is it's a little bit bloated Mm. you know lynn is not usually a guy with bloat he normally keeps it relatively lean even at a two-hour runtime Mm. you know star trek beyond is a good example of that i really like star trek beyond and i think he kept it pretty lean um but and i so so it's a bit bloated in places there's a few scenes here and there where the pacing is a little off when they try for comedy and then suddenly they get down to business again but when it works it works when it delivers it delivers Mm. and you know, we compared this to the Bond series earlier because there's no other series that quite did it action that way or developed not just itself as a series, but developed the actual industry of stuntmen and action sequences along the way like this did. And I think that 
you know, for that's the thing I like about the Fast and the Furious. I know when I'm going in, I put my money down and I know what I'm going to see and they deliver and they delivered in spades. So yeah, I will agree with you. Four out of five because it isn't at the best of the series, but it's damn good fun. Yeah. And there you have it. Fast 9, Furious 9, F9, The Fast what Saga, it- whatever you want to call it, gets four stars yeah. here at Film Raw. And that uh, and that's the reviews for this episode. So before we before we start wrapping up things, it's obviously time for the recommendation from the guest reviewer. So, Hugh, floor's mm. yours. Please recommend a film of, of anything of your choosing to our wonderful listeners. Okay, so uh, Patrick Hughes, the Australian director of The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard mm-hmm. and The Hitman's Bodyguard. I mentioned earlier that he did Expendables 3 before that, but the first film he did that I saw as well, which I saw at, of all places at Fright Fest, but it's not a horror film. And it is one of my favorite modern movies. It's one of my fa- all-time favorites of this century. Red Hill, 2010. It's a 15 rating. Ni- nicely 95 minutes it is a modern-day Australian Western. Nice. It's got Ryan Quanton, who was at the time very big for the True Blood and used his True Blood fame to leverage to help leverage the budget to get this film made. He's the star. But then you also get Aussie faces that people will recognize from uh, TV shows and from other movies. You've got Steve Bisley, Claire Van der Boom, um, John Brumpton's recognizable to some. There's people that people will recognize from Aussie soaps. Jim Daly's in it. Um, <laughs> but the thing, but the, the most interesting character in it is played by Tommy Lewis. And Tommy Lewis, who has since sadly passed away, is one of the was one of the first major indigenous Australian actors going right back to the chant of Jimmy Blacksmith in the 70s, which is also a great film. And this film is like a Clint Eastwood Western, except it's set in the modern day. You know, Cranton is a cop. He's on his first day, his first day on the job. And he's working for uh, an old school, no-nonsense racist sheriff. And they get word that there's a guy coming to town. and that this sheriff is the one who put him in prison. And you think this is going to be a nice, clear-cut, good guy, bad guy thing, except it isn't. And it is absolutely stonking. I love this movie so much. I recommend it to everybody. I see it. I've given DVDs. We are possibly going to cover it on the next season of Hustles of Culture. We're still working that one out. Um, I can't recommend it enough. It came out here in England on DVD. It. Uh, I don't think it had a Blu-ray release here. It might have. I know it has a US Blu-ray release um, and a German release, but definitely DVD here. Uh, however you want to get it, it's streaming, whatever, well worth your time. Cracking, serious, um, modern Western. And you watch that and you will ask yourself, if you go and see Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I, rem- I think I remember the success of of this one in particular led to Hughes getting the job on Expendables Free, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. This is not a big action film, although the action that is in Red Hill is exquisitely done. Mm. You know, it's real modern day, you know, duster coats and pistols and shotguns and, you know, proper and nighttime shootouts and, and all this kind of thing. And it's really well done. 
so you can see how he get would get tapped but it's almost like making friends with all of these big names i mean isn't expendables 3 the one that has harrison ford as well as kelsey Grammer and the others oh yeah the 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 action spectacular of kelsey Grammer, antonio banderas wesley snipes uh mel gibson yeah it's almost yeah. like yeah I feel like Hughes suddenly hit the big time with all these guys. He's like, okay, I'll just make more of these. You know, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. He's doing a Ke- he's doing a Kevin Hart movie at the moment, so who knows? <laughs> it's called The Man from Toronto. That so it's, it's going to be another comedy. So oh, okay. Matt, another comedy action is. Oh, then we'll see how it goes. I mean, it, it should be all right. I mean, it basically will probably be the first one's going to be good. If it gets very successful and they make a sequel. Then we got Hitman's <laughs> body, and then we have the hit. Oh no! Don't no. Then they'll have the. Then they'll have the crossover of the man from Toronto meets the Hitman's wife's son's Hitman's wife's bodyguard. Don't give Millennium Films and Lionsgate's idea. They'll go and do it. They'll go and no. do it. No, it's the Millennium Lionsgate universe. <laughs> Shared oh, universe. It's no. like I think. I think there was there was a time people were going, "Hey, what if Fast and Furious and Jurassic World crossed paths?" It's like what. No, no okay, I heard that one. It's like it's insane. No, it but when work. you see the opening scene, yeah, but when you look at the opening scene, it would totally work. <laughs> look at the opening scene, and you're just like, yeah, okay, I can, I can see them doing that. It's about you know? fa- it's about family and dinosaurs and this pet raptor. <laughs> Apparently, Tyrese has been saying he'd rather see them cross over with Transformers first. Oh god, that that actually, that, actually seems, that actually seems more in line with what I, that actually would work. I think that might actually work. I, mean, I think that might work. I mean, you you never know. They can always just crazily cross over with things like GI Joe as well. Well, no, that's Paramount now, but it still technically has. Bro, I I don't know these. Yeah, it's like movie crossovers. What happen when they happen? I mean, obviously, everyone pined for that Twenty One Jump Street Men in Black, and it never happened. <laughs> but it, it would have been amazing. <laughs> would have been amazing. But anyway. Anyway, that is almost time for this episode of Film Raw. But before we say goodbye, there is plenty of time for the patron shout outs. And a big thank you to our Golden Monster supporters, Harriet, aka Manga Girl, and Loco is great. Thank you so much for your ongoing support of Bunkzilla and the content that we provide. If you'd like more information on our Patreon service, including gain early access to episodes of Film Raw, like this one, this one you're listening to right now, go to patreon.com slash bunkers of the UK. You can support us from as little as pound fifty. And don't forget, you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and of course, Twitch at Bunkerzilla UK. And there is, of course, a whole world of content to discover over at Bunkerzilla.co.uk. And of course, since Hugh is here, Hugh, tell the lovely listeners about the podcasts you're involved with over at Bunkerzilla. Okay, so uh, in the middle of prepping for new seasons of Hustlers of Culture, myself and your former movie review co-host, Leslie Byron-Pitt, will be discussing a variety of selected films, all of which we will use as an entryway into a bigger set of topics or a genre. Um, What we're hoping to do this year is use these things as a way into other conversations. Um, As I said, we're thinking about Red Hill as a way into Australian genre film. We may or may not do that. We've got a whole bunch of ideas. We're still working it out. There's also a couple of directors who've asked to, you know, we've had discussions about interviews, so that'll happen. Real History will be back again soon. There's a number of episodes that we didn't get to air in the last season that we are finishing up to air now. And um, 
yeah, I mean, people, I can see people having a lot of fun with those. Um, and then finally, uh, Binges and Boxes, which has been on hiatus for a while. Uh, you and I are looking at ways to bring it back. Yep. And ways to put some episodes together. So uh, keep an eye out for TV reviews soon um, under the Binges and Boxes heading, hopefully. Lovely stuff. So that is about it for this episode of Fillmore. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Any comments about the films that we reviewed, please email us over with filmroll at bungzilla.co.uk. So until next time, stay safe, enjoy your movies. I've been Ian Bolton, joined by Hugh David. Hello and goodbye. Keep it cinematic. We'll see you next time. Adios. Peace.